Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We're, we're back with the film detective. And we're focusing on our upcoming DVD Blu-ray release of a, of a sci-fi drive-in classic, The Brain from Planet Eris. I am joined today by one of the stars of that movie, Joyce Meadows. Thank you for joining us, Joyce. You're welcome. And we're also joined by David Schechter, a film buff and a friend of Joyce's. Uh, who uh, made a contribution to the new Blu-ray, uh, directed a, a short film with, with Joyce that will be a, a DVD extra. And I had a chance to look at it a couple of weeks ago. Very, very cute, very funny. Um, and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that uh, later on. Joyce, I want to start with you. Um, you were from Canada, is that right? That's right, Alberta. Alberta, Canada. Alberta. Somehow, you became Miss Hollywood, 1954. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Before that, there was um, Miss Sacramento. You, so you, you were just... 1953. <laughs> you, you were tearing up the West Coast. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I won the talent in both parts. What was singing, the talent? Singing at that point. And, uh, and then I got invited back, to, that, that you usually do, to bring in the next person that won the following year. And then I did some acting, a monologue in front of the, that was part of my entertainment, because I'm basically an actor who sings, you know, so. And then somehow, shortly after <laughs> your coronation as Miss Hollywood, you you had been in a in a, a few films, then what? You you got the call to be in the brain from Planet Eris. Yes, uh, I I had done a few television shows, and in I think it was Doctor Christian I met Jack Marquette, and he uh, he brought up the brain from Planet Eris because he was the uh, producer of it, or the cameraman and and it was his idea in the beginning and he offered me the role i didn't even i didn't audition or anything he saw some of my work on tv and, and i accepted the role and, it, and that was that he thought that you would look, <laughs> he thought you would look good against the giant brain you didn't even have to do an audition <laughs> 
idea that it was going to be that at the time, you know, so. <laughs> now, in a movie like that, it, it, it's kind of campy. It, it, it's, uh, you know, giant brains floating around and a menace from outer space. And, <laughs> and uh, when you're making a movie like that, what, what is the attitude like during the production? Are, are people having fun? Or are they thinking, you know, what have we got ourselves into? What What is the attitude uh, while you were making that movie? I think that uh, we just committed to it, basically. Mm -hmm. um, I was a greenhorn. I totally committed to it, you know, as an actor. And it was... Uh, something that we went for. We only had a certain amount of time done and uh, we did the best we could with the time we had and and the scene, some of the scenes were long and they were worried about that because I was not in front of the camera that long about if I'd remember the dialogue. And I had just come from Romeo and Juliet, Shakespeare. I had done Shakespeare and I did stage productions of other Tennessee Williams and so on. So I couldn't figure out why in the world they were concerned about five page dialogue all at once. <laughs> so mm -hmm. anyway, uh, the, everybody was, as far as I remember, everybody just got themselves committed to it because I think that's what made it alive and funny or campy or however you want to put it, you know. Can it's, I jump in for a second here? Mm -hmm. um, something that defines Joyce, as well as why I think The Brain stands above a lot of the other low-budget movies of that era, is when she talks about committed, one question I asked Joyce was, fans always want to know what was The Brain made of? You know, was it, was it a balloon? Was it a fiberglass prop? It certainly wasn't remote controlled, whatever, but what was it made of? And Joyce is, you know, physically encountering it near, at certain points of the movie. And when I asked her, how it was operated, what it was made of. She said, I had no idea. I didn't want to see it because to me, it wasn't a prop or a special effect. It was an actual killer alien. Yeah. And if I had known that it was a prop or treated it that way, I wouldn't have been able to play it properly. And the three uh, main actors like uh, Robert Fuller and John Agar and uh, Joyce, they play this really seriously. Yeah. And yeah, it's campy. Good. It's a floating brain but the acting is really superb in the movie because nobody's looking down on it. Well, we never saw it until it, we were confronted with it, you know, and um, ahead of time as, as, as uh, Joyce Meadows, you know, uh, I, I didn't want to see it until I was first confronted with it, which was in the cave. Earthlings. I think that is uh, one of the reasons why I like the movie is ju just that <laughs> brain itself. It it, uh, it is kind of menacing, and yeah. and he and he's kind of, kind of dirty in a way. He's kind of, kind of a got kind of a dirty mind from outer space. Um, I know. <laughs> it, it's those bedroom eyes. You know, he's, he's got them. Well, you know, all, all of the movies that hold up from that era they always have the one striking image 
that we remember, you know, wh whether it's uh, yeah. a, a giant tarantula coming over the desert, you know, or, or you know, in this case, a, a giant brain sort of floating yeah. through a cave, um, or, uh, you know, a, now I'm thinking of uh, Michael Landon and I was a teenage werewolf, you know, just that, that image of yeah. him in the yeah. werewolf makeup. There's always that one striking image that mm -hmm. uh, for me, and I'm sure other fans too, uh, that's the image that grabs onto us mm -hmm. and, and makes us love a movie, uh, makes us remember it forever. Yeah. What is it, Steve? movies from that period some of the bigger budget things that were you know the the big events of the day they didn't have that strong image <laughs> that lasted in our memories no know? because they could do so much more with the computers and they did but don you know i had to hang on to that image that's what i did as an actor when the brain was in john mm -hmm. and john was a different person and he wasn't that person. He wasn't. He he, he wasn't. Uh, he wasn't my my fiance anymore. He was this horrible brain that I had encountered, and I hung on to that image uh, when the brain was in John, and that's why I could respond to John the way I did. You know, when he was being obsessed with the brain. Yeah, so like when he ripped Joyce's blouse off, which was an indelible image for me growing up. <laughs> Joyce, you should tell him about that scene and John's reaction to that when he got a little too romantic with you. Oh, well, he was such a gentleman, you know, he was a basically he goes, oh, I'm sorry. Did, did I really rip it? Did I, you know, was it too much? You know, he's whispering to me, you know. And I said, no, no. And if you did rip it, then we'll have to repair it. That's all, you know, and so on. But, uh, but in the beginning, he said, I don't know quite what I'm going to do. I said, well, just be possessed, John, and then let that move you. And I don't know if that's what he did or not. But anyway, uh, whatever he did, I think it worked. Well, you're different. I don't know what you mean, different. I'm still the same old lovable character I always was. Excuse me, Sally. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're talking about uh, John Agar and... Uh, his character in the... Steve. Yeah. Steve March. We're, I know John Agar did a lot of different movies he did westerns he did war movies yeah. he, he did dramas but when i think of him he's always being chased by a giant bug or something or <laughs> or, or or the creature from the black lagoon he's he did uh, a good amount of, of those kind of uh, thrillers uh i wonder uh he was already a veteran of those movies when he made the brain yeah so uh, I'm, I'm wondering did, did he ever give you any uh advice on on how to act in you know opposite the, the brain uh no because uh he uh, uh he knew better he he was uh he, john played john a lot no matter what characters he was in and uh 
he, in, in talking to each other, he found out this enormous theater background that I had already had. And he, um, I don't think he wanted to infringe on that. And basically, Don, actors don't tell other actors what to do unless they ask, you know. We just don't. And uh, I, um, I, 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 there was a director on the set and I'm very, um, <laughs> I'm very specific about that. Uh, I listen to the director. I work with the director. I don't want any other comments, you know, uh, other than what the director gives me. And that's a thing that you work with a director and in creating the character and making the scene come alive. And to me, that's who I listen to. And if an actor breaks that and starts giving advice, I cancel it out usually. <laughs> well, he figured you had been in Romeo and Juliet, so you, you could handle the, uh, the I don't know, but he, he saw my resume and he, uh, because, and, um, and I, I was, um, he was such a sweetheart though, such a sweetheart, you know, I mean that movie that he, with John Wayne that introduced him, you know, when he was just a munchkin. He was so young, just out of the service, you know, so. I think the appeal of John in, in a lot of cases was he had this everyman quality. That's and, right. And I think that's why he was in a lot of the monster movies too, because you you connected with him. There was a, a decentness to him, which, yeah. which I think Joyce would admit that was a part of who John was. He was projecting his own personality more than he was a technical craftsman. Well, he was, uh, he, he, he had a natural way about him in front of the camera. It was a gift. It really was. It was just a natural, you know, way. And uh, I did memorabilia's with him and enjoyed him throughout the years before he passed away. Um, several memorabilia's we did together. Yeah, I think uh, viewers of the Film Detective, our uh, movie app, uh, are probably big fans of John Agar. We, we've seen a lot of his movies over the years. <laughs> I imagine you have, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. here's a rumor, and I want you to either put it to rest or think about it. The director was Nathan Duran. On the film, he goes by Nathan Hertz. And I heard that he didn't want his name associated with this film. So he put a, a different name in the credits. I know. That, that's a rumor. I don't know if it's true or if it's just Hollywood folklore. Have you ever heard anything like that? I, I've, heard, uh, I've heard about it, but not during the movie. Mm -hmm. And not and and several years after we did it, and I was just naive enough. I I you know, whatever name he was calling himself, you know, I worked with him, and I heard the rumor, but uh, to be honest with you, I never found out if it was true or not. Mm. I, I I never did. Uh, it could have been something. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It it it's it's to too bad if that's what he thought because. Uh, he, uh, he, I think he would be reneging that today, <laughs> you know. Yeah, th there was a period of time where directors were working so often that they yeah. would sometimes use uh, a fake name. That's right. 
just so it didn't seem like, oh, this guy again, you know. Um, that too. So I, I don't, I don't really know um, exactly. David, like I you, said, you, I'm ignorant as far as giving you definite information about that, Don. I really am. David, Don, I, you have I, something? Yeah, Don, I agree, I agree with you. It could have had something to do with maybe he had a contract with somebody else, a promise of this, that, or the other thing. But, you know, if you look at his, uh, his resume, he did a lot of good stuff, but the brain was by no means like a standout bad film for, you know, he made good films, bad films, and indifferent films. I just, uh, I don't buy that at all. Oh. Now, David, do you remember the first time you saw the brain? Um, yes, <laughs> and, I, and it, I, I remember watching Joyce's blouse get ripped as a little boy and, and thinking, you know, when I grow up, I want to get taken over by a giant brain. So I can... so you can have the excuse to uh, attack yeah. girls. Exactly. Now, uh, did you oh. see it? Did you see it on TV on like a creature feature type thing on a Saturday afternoon? Or did you see it at a theater? Or, or how did you see it? Well, they were never in the afternoon. I grew up back east uh, New Jersey. So the New York area it would be the late, late, late show or the big show or supernatural theater. A lot of times those movies were on at like 1.30 in the morning, 4.30 in the morning on a school night. And there is no way I was gonna miss something like that with a title like that. So, mm. but, but back then, you know, you would see the movie, you would love it. And then you had to wait sometimes like a year to see it again. Right, right. Do and you know, it, oh, go ahead, Don. Excuse oh, I, I was gonna say, uh, you would always try to find those uh, magazines, like famous monsters of film land. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. You, you know, you, you would uh, read every bit of information you could, you know, um, and you were never sure if what you were reading was accurate or not. Um, what were you gonna say, Joyce? Oh, um, there was a, a letter I got and I was, I moved around a lot and I still haven't found it. I don't know if I ever will, but it came from Stephen King and he saw it and he wrote me a letter. He says, when I was a kid and I saw that movie, it's the one that inspired me to start writing the way I start writing and, and doing and, you know, creating characters and stuff like that, that, that he, uh, that he's written. I was so impressed. Stephen, you know, wow. You know, I have heard that. I've heard that. Have you heard that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, because I, 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 you know, how stupid of me not to keep, you know, I, I don't know what happened. I've got a drawer full of fan mail that goes on forever. <laughs> and it's, it's nowhere to be found in there. But I was kind of um, really impressed with my work that he, and he was very complimentary. He said, you were, you made me believe the brain was real. I, I think that's what basic basic statement he said you know so <laughs> yeah i i have heard that and I, I was actually going to mention that but you beat me to it <laughs> i think so i, I think that, that might give my list i think that might give joyce uh maybe uh the right to some of his royalties for all of the uh <laughs> books he sold over the years inspired by you oh well he was inspired but i don't know i think that's as far as it goes uh you know but now, I was but impressed. <laughs> Joyce, there's a, a funny story I read, and I'm going to give you a chance to tell it, uh, about uh, a movie poster that uh, you wanted to buy. 
of the movie. <laughs> uh, that, you remember this story? I, if it's the same story, yeah. There was a big poster of the brain from Planet Eros. And I could, it was in New York. So I called, I got in contact um, with whoever was selling it. And I introduced myself and I said, how much would I have to pay for it? Is this the story you're thinking of? Yeah. And he said, yeah, I says, you certainly can. It'll cost you $600. And I said, what are you talking about? The movie didn't cost too much more than that. You know, <laughs> that was the statement I made to him. I refused to uh, pay him $600 for a poster. And I thanked him and hung up. Oh, well, you, story. <laughs> you you can probably find a reproduction for uh, a lot. A lot, <laughs> lot hey, Joyce, you, sh you should have bought it because it's worth a lot more than that today. Oh, really? Well, this was quite a while ago. This was quite a while ago, David. I mean, a number of years ago. I didn't know uh, that story. That's funny. <laughs> so. Yeah, those New York. Uh, Me and my big mouth, you know. Those New York uh, poster stores. I've been to a few of them. They're, they're fascinating because I, I used to love uh, uh, lobby cards and, and the posters and eight by tens. I, I was fascinated by all of that stuff. Yeah. And there was one, uh, I don't think it exists anymore. It was called Movie Star News. And uh, it, was, it was shut down a long time ago. Uh, but I used to go there in the 80s and 90s. And uh, I was fascinated by all of that stuff. I wonder if that was the store. Could have been. Movie Star News. Trying to, try, trying to get Joyce. Yeah, to that's funny how that, you know, whoever had that poster must have shared that story then. Because I sure didn't tell anybody else. Well, I have my ways. Oh. <laughs> okay. Okay. Now. Now, Joyce, I, I have to talk about some some other aspects of uh, your resume. I, I was very impressed. You did a lot of uh, my resume. Uh, I should keep great television um, in the '60s, uh, and that, that's a period that that I really like. That the whole Alfred Hitchcock, Perry Mason, that that period. You, you acted uh, on both of those shows and a bunch of others. Um, what, what, what are some of your memories that really stand out from, from that period, that early 60s, mid 60s period? Well, the first thing is coming to me besides other things. During that period and in the late 50s, early 60s and so on, the leads were one and two people. When you think about it, like 77 Sunset Strip had a little more uh, uh, Perry Mason had three or four, but, but the cast were small. So in order to have a story, you had to uh, bring in actors to play the leads, right? And I, I started out auditioning for leads and um, I was able to be uh, cast in them. And you had a wonderful opportunity to play a lot of good roles that were the particular lead in that particular uh, segment of the show. As of today, when there's 
10, 12 people, if you hire somebody from the outside, they've got five and under lines or something like that for the most part, because they've got to use all those actors because they've got them under contract. So uh, a working actor doesn't get the roles that uh, I used to audition for during that period. So I had an opportunity to play some wonderful, wonderful roles, even in the Westerns, you know, all the Westerns I did. What was interesting too, I thought, was that uh, uh, it seemed they would bring you back. Uh, yeah. You did, you know, four or five shots on, on Perry Mason, four or five shots on Alfred Hitchcock. So yeah. they, they brought you back. It wasn't just, you know, one and done. They, they brought you back. That must well, have been great. I know, and I didn't even have to audition. They called up and they said, we have this role we think Joyce could do, is she, would, is she available? But sometimes I would go and do a part that wasn't the main lead invited that week in order to get my foot in the door and do a good job of the smaller part. And then I got called back for a lead or something like that, you know? So I, um, yeah, my agent was very, uh, he told me, he said, if you've got a nice little spot in the show, I think you should do it because then they'll see your work and, and you'll do a good job and they'll call you back. Shame on them. I didn't know that was on. <laughs> Joyce, on. That, was, that was Stephen King. Exactly. Oh, Joyce, yeah. Did, didn't they also? It came from Oklahoma. I don't know if it was Stephen King. This sounds like say, okay, it's off now. Joyce, didn't huh? they sometimes also say, yeah, I know we have a role for you. It's not that big, but if you do it, we'll get you a bigger role down the line. Well, they could call you back for a lead role. If, you know, if you do, you, when you do a good job, they'll call you back. I, there were several shows and the one that comes in mind, because I think it was the smallest part was in uh, Roy Calhoun's A Texan. And then I was called back for another and I was the main lead. Uh, they had called me back. I had to audition again, I think, for that, but it didn't matter. I got the role. And uh, so sometimes, you know, to get your foot in the door, that's what you did. So I always thought it was interesting if, because uh, uh, I, I watch a lot of old shows like Dragnet. Uh, and a lot of times you'll see the, the same actor from week to week getting killed or you know arrested or something and i always wondered did, did the producers not care that the audience at home might remember this guy from week to week well it kind of depends on the show dragnet was a weird thing um i, I never i had an opportunity to audition for it but i i wasn't that concerned about it, it was a strange production company i I often wondered why they were a little more careful about that myself, because yeah, what few of them I saw, the same person would be getting killed, and then they'd be getting killed again, you know, and so on. So I don't know. On I'm Alfred Hitchcock, huh? on Alfred Hitchcock, you would, you know, a lot of stars, yeah. they'd be in a season one episode and a season two episode and a season three, you know, and they just... I don't think they worried about that back then. You know, so many of the actors would appear like you in every single Western. So, you know, pretty much every single actor in Hollywood 
was in every single Western for a while there. <laughs> well, that's true. But, uh, you know, it's, it, they could have, sometimes they, some, some of them will spread it apart, David, if you get killed, <laughs> you know. And a lot of times uh, the fans always say, uh, always remark about how different all of my characters were. Uh, some say they said if I didn't see Joyce Meadows at the end of the show, I didn't know it was you, you know, because you're you're it was wonderful how you could play these, you know. The fans are very complimentary, Don. If you if you ever get depressed, you open the door and pull out a fan letter and it really makes you feel good. <laughs> you know. I, I don't get many fan letters, so uh, I'll, I'll take your word for it. I'll, I'll write you one if you write me one. Oh, thanks. <laughs> now I know you 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 took a break uh, from acting on on TV. I don't know if you were doing stage work or uh, what you were doing, but you returned to TV in the '90s, and you did a lot of work once again in the '90s. Mm -hmm. um, and you had mentioned uh, there was uh, a difference in that the older shows had smaller, tighter casts. And uh, the, the later shows had these enormous casts that were fo the focus. That's right. <laughs> were, 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 there, were there other differences you noticed uh, between working in the 60s, say, and when you came back in the 90s? Was there a, was there a, a big difference in, in TV production during that span? Oh, I'm glad you said TV productions. Uh-huh. One, one of the things that shocked me is prior... You go in, you'd audition for the casting director. He'd call you up and, uh, no, you'd audition for the casting director and they'd say, come on, I want you to meet the, the uh, director and the producer. And you'd meet them and, and the casting director would give his opinion, I guess. And then you'd get a call and you'd do the show. Boom, 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 like that. Well, I come back, you meet the casting director, and then you go home, you get a call. You've got a call back for this show. I thought I got a what? He says, a call back for, you know, the agent said, for, for the show that you audition for. Okay, you go there, and then it's, you do, you audition for the casting director again. And what was, and then you go home and then you get another call and they say, the director would like you to come, you know, you're, what is it they referred to? You're one of the three, oh, I don't know, they had a term. They bring you back the third time and now you're reading for the director. Now, okay, if you had a big lead and they wanted to make sure, but the cast is big. So you've got a nice little segment in the show. Do they call, you know, before they called in five people they thought would do it. In the 90s, I go in there on the callback and there's 15 actors in there on the callback. And everything was such a long process. And it's, you know, and the traffic now in L.A. is 10 times worse than it was back then. And you go back and forth and back and forth. 
before you knew whether you had the role or not. And it was like, sometimes it was just a, one scene, one scene. Now, why couldn't they make up their mind right then and there? <laughs> because you were a professional actor. But I guess they had to put all those people to work. I don't know, behind the cameras, because you kept meeting other people behind the cameras all the time. And that was a big adjustment for me to make because I came from the old school, you know, where you went in and you either did a good job and you got the role or somebody else did a better job, and, you know. And I, one of the big things in uh, film, of course, and TV was you had to stay above the rejections that you got. You know, there were lots, many shows I auditioned for I did not get, you know, and many I did. But the rejections sometimes were quite hard, especially if you liked the role and you really wanted to do it, you know. The rejections were hard, and uh, but you kept going, you know, and kept doing it. But I think that's one of the big things. So it seems really there, there were a lot more hoops to jump through uh, in the 90s. And more people, you know, and more actors. I thought, why do they need 20 actors for one scene? <laughs> you know, was, was uh, these this, are all uh, the adjustments. Was this for Punky Brewster? Oh, yeah, yeah, that, when that went on with Punky Brewster, you know, it sure did. And uh, I know, I had fun with that. I had yeah, that was a popular show. Um, yeah, I was amazed how popular it was. But I, David, I played a librarian in the Punky Brewster show, in case you didn't see it. Only she was hip, she had a motorcycle that oh, she... Yeah. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Oh, you remember now? Okay. Yeah. And and you you also did some uh, daytime dramas, what what we used to call soap operas. I don't think we call them soap operas anymore. Oh, you don't? I, I don't. I don't think that term has the, the same relevance as it um, used. Thank you for telling me because I still call them soap. Well, so I, I'll have to remember. I, I do too, but I I can't remember the last time I I actually <laughs> saw a commercial for soap. <laughs> you know. Um, I, I think gradually that term has become kind of old fashioned. I think now they're called daytime dramas. That's, that's a lot better. That's a lot better. Yeah. Yeah. I had a five parter on a days of our lives where I played, um, a, a warden, but she was not like one of few over the cuckoo's nest. She was a good warden. So, you know, so, but I had, it was uh, five times I had to be on there. Yeah, that was uh, interesting. <laughs> well, I, I, I thought it was really interesting that, uh, you know, in, in that first part of your career, you were always on the, the top flight programs, Wagon Train, uh -huh. Sunset Strip. You, you were uh -huh. on those really uh, iconic kind of programs. Yeah. And and in a way, you know, Punky Brewster and, and Days of Our Lives, th th those were also top flight shows that everybody knows about. You you <laughs> always you always landed on those big big programs. Yeah. Um yeah. Now maybe I, because they wanted actors. <laughs> now I, I have to ask you about two other movies 
one of them you you had uh, an uncredited part breakfast at tiffany's okay i'll give you that story very fast agent calls one day and says i have a proposition oh golly you know the director on that show the Blake, Edwards. Blake, Edwards. Blake Edwards, excuse me, how can you forget? Um, he had called agents and said, I want to do a party and I don't want extras. I want actors so I can throw out an idea and make an improv. And, I, and so the agent calls and I guess other agents. So he presents the thing to me. He says, you'll be working a week. It should be a lot of fun. Uh, why don't you do, and other actors will be on it. So I agreed. I thought, why not? So I went, we spent a week, there were other actors and, and Blake Edwards would do, you know, throw out an idea and all of us actors would, you know, we all just jumped in and did what in the acting schools are called improvs. You've heard of that term. So and that's, uh, that, that's how we did it. And he, at one point, he told George Papard to pinch me in my dairy area, you know. And I, of course, reacted to that. And there were, and then, of course, the actual dialogue came with Audrey Hepburn. That, that was, you know, that was not, that was actual dialogue. But that got labeled as one of the most fun parties I've heard uh, people say that or write about it, say that was the greatest party that I've ever seen on film, you know, and so on. So that's how that happened, Don. I, I think it is one of the best party scenes. I put it up there with the party in uh, Midnight Cowboy. <laughs> it was a little different. A little, uh, little, yeah, a little different. A <laughs> little, little, little more degenerate. Yeah. In, uh, cowboy. <laughs> um, but uh, if I could be at two movie parties those are the two i'd want to be those are two you'd be at yeah. well it was fun and blake edward was wonderful and it was a opportunity to hang around a, a great you know icon audrey hepburn who is um just a fantastic person did was mickey rooney at that party yeah okay he was i think he played the chinese he was the upstairs neighbor wearing the false teeth Ah, yeah, a lot of his stuff was ad lib, I think, on that. Now, Improv, I should say, not ad lib. Along with uh, Blake Edwards, uh, you worked with another director <laughs> I like, uh, William Castle. Oh, yeah. Um, a, a movie called uh, I Saw What You Did. And yeah. Joan Crawford was the, uh, the, the star of that one. T yeah. Tell us a little about that. I love that movie. Well, if you want me to, to tell you about an experience watching Joan Crawford, um, she was one of the old movie stars, Don. And there were a few that if there was a younger person on the set, they would not show up until their scene was done and they were gone and then they would come on. That's my experience with Joan Crawford. I never saw her. I never had a chance to meet her. Not, they all weren't that way, but there were some that were like that. And um, the, uh, 
the scene was done very technical mm -hmm. as far as copying Hitchcock's thing. And um, so I didn't really get involved or too much with the horror. Uh, it was an action and I just let it happen as it happened. But it was an opportunity to play a bad, a nasty character. And I kind of thought that would be fun to play. I don't get, I didn't get too many of those in the film. On stage, I've played some pretty nasty characters, but uh, in film, no. And uh, I enjoyed that. And it's, um, it's become popular. Like I, I can't, I get fan mail of people that just go on and on about that film, you know? I don't think you've ever seen it, have you, Joyce? No. <laughs> I haven't either. I wanted to watch it with her. And she says, no, not going not gonna to watch I it. I know. I didn't want to see myself all just chopped pieces or whatever. You, you've died in other movies, though. Huh? Pardon you've me? Got, yeah, but usually when you die, it's off screen. So that's different. Hey, I don't feel bad because Meryl Streep, when she played... Um, What's the famous store? And she was the, uh, you know, the movie Meryl Streep made. You mean uh, the chef, Julia Child or something? Oh, no, 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 no. The, 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 the famous uh, oh, um, like, designer. What? Oh. Yeah, you know, the famous uh, department store. I'll think of it in a minute. Where she played the real mean gal in there, a real oh, nasty. Man Hathaway? Oh, and Anne Hathaway was in it. Yeah. Uh, I never shop in that store. <laughs> this is very, too, it's so expensive. So I don't know. I'll think of it in a minute. But she said she never saw the movie because she was didn't want to see herself being so mean and nasty. Do you have any memories of uh, William Castle who directed uh, I Saw What You Did? I do. I thought that he was... I don't know, he was, to me, I got in touch with, really in touch, and being able to work with a big director. And he was so, um, I don't know, he was so uh, into what you were doing, and, and yet so open to let you... To, to do your thing and he was like he was under there supporting you it's hard to express what I mean uh, he it's like he was there he was like the like a foundation and you could go inside and just create and do things he, I, I thought he was a wonderful director I was uh, I thought it would be wonderful to really have a role with him directing I thought he was well, I th I enjoyed every moment. And there was, you know, I had other scenes, of course, and uh, I, I just loved working with him. Don, fascinated I'm, by his technique. You I'm, know. I'm working on a screenplay, which is kind of a jumping off from the Hollywood story. So do you, are you familiar with that? No. It's one of his early movies and it's really good. It's like oh, a man. film noir mystery that takes place in Hollywood. Uh, Joyce and uh, I are close friend with Julie Adams, and it was one of her early roles. Oh. But you definitely should seek it out. It's it's a terrific. I think 1952, and he directed it. And it, I think it's one of his finest movies. Here's a cool fact. 
a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I uh, I have seen a lot of William Castle's movies, but uh, I'm not familiar with that one. That sounds pretty interesting. And and uh, I think you should watch. Uh, I saw what you did, <laughs> since uh, since it was such a good experience, and and uh, you have such uh, praise for William Castle. <laughs> I think you should watch it. Um, I wanted to ask you about uh, the autograph shows and 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 the uh, memorabilia shows that. Uh, you've done over the years are you still doing them did they they must have stopped for a while because of the coronavirus they uh, did any- they did uh, well i haven't spent a career doing that too much um i think it was uh, you know when that when i was first asked by someone in um the state of virginia who uh contacted me which I ignored for a long time because I didn't know what he was talking about. And finally I answered and I said, what's a memorabilia? And that began the memorabilia shows and I had to prepare. And then I met Dave. That's how David and I basically met and got started really is uh, preparing for the memorabilia shows. And I um, I had to prepare pictures and what I always thought I got invited for uh, sci-fi and also monster and I mean monster shows are really monster you know and I couldn't figure out what was so monstrous about the brain from planet Earth I always thought it was more sci-fi than monster but it opened up both doors uh, and sometimes the memorabilia were both 
So you got to do them both. And um, I can't, I can't tell you how wonderful it is to see people coming in with their kids and their families and just talking and want to, they want, they got their own cameras, they want to shoot pictures of you and then walking up and paying money for your autograph and so on and asking you all kinds of questions and things. Um, they, um, they lasted at least three days, Friday, Saturday and Sunday, most of them, yeah. And they were wonderful. They were wonderful to do. Now, uh, since the pandemic, I haven't done any. The last one I did was in Philadelphia, and it was fantastic. Well, it's a big, big monster bash, it's called. And it's one of the biggest memorabilia, as I understand. And those people were wonderful. The people were running it. And and it just, it's, for me, it's been a really... Uh, I just show my pictures and I, you know, I have a few pinups, but. <laughs> which which know, are the I most popular. Selling that. I don't sell those and, uh, you know, as an actor, you know, and so on and so forth. And I had a lot of people picking up the actor ones rather than the pinup ones. <laughs> I'm actually yeah. going to be promoting, uh, contacting some of these shows to get them to show our little short film because I think that would be fun at memorabilia shows. And then Joyce can talk about her career after that. Now that, that's, uh, that is a good uh, segue because I wanted to ask about that, that short film. I, I believe it's being included in the Blu-ray. Um, and uh, I, I saw it recently, I, I, I thought it was nice, it was funny. Um, tell us about that. Well, that's kind of you. Well, I, I thank you. I, I I didn't know how you would respond to it. You, know, you never oh, know. No, no I, I thought it was cute. I liked how it was. It shot in in the exact same location as all over all over Chatsworth, all wow. over those hills and rocks and everything. David went on went hunting locations for a week, I think at least. Um, I think that some shoot. of some of the movie was shot in Chatsworth, not a lot of it. Um, like the scenes when they're talking about the plane wreck. I think that was shot on Mulholland Drive. But the problem was that originally I wanted to film it in front of Bronson Cave. And uh, then I was dealing with um, the Hollywood uh, red tape and the money and everything for the proper clearances and, and all that stuff. And it was like a nightmare. So I said, okay, what can we do? Because people are gonna expect you to be shooting outside or inside Bronson Cave. But first of all, it was, it was closed off because of the virus. They put a fence in front of it. <laughs> so originally I was gonna film this little thing with Joyce in front of the blocked off Bronson Cave. And I wrote like a half a page little intro to the film, which I thought would be kind of fun. And when I found out I couldn't use Bronson Cave, I had to figure out, okay, how can we justify the fact that we're not shooting there? So we came up with this scenario and I filmed in very similar locations. Where I played the two characters in, Joyce and Sally, Joyce and Sally, Joyce and Sally. Yeah, yeah it looked good. Did, did, did Joyce agree to do it right away or did you have to uh, twist her arm a little bit? Well, Joyce owes me money, so she owes me a number oh. of favors. No, she doesn't. No, she doesn't. Well, originally I told her, okay, here's what, it would be fun 
to do a little intro to the movie. So people see that and then they watch the movie. And she said, oh yeah, that would be kind of fun. Um, because we met doing Brain from Planet Aris when I was doing something related to the movie. So it was like perfect for us. And then being the writer that I am and not having an editor, when I started writing my little, you know, three line thing turned, turned into a 13 minute mini production. And Joyce <laughs> was a real trooper. You know, I showed her the line, I said, Joyce, you have more lines in this than in like 10 of your guest starring roles combined. And it was like, oh my God, when she saw this stuff, but she was a real trooper and she, <laughs> you know, yeah, either resigned. Yeah, Don, he did give me uh, a couple of weeks to become familiar with all that dialogue and uh, and to decide how I was going to do the two characters and things like that. So I had, you know, before we shot, I did some homework on that and prepared myself, you know, as uh, actors do, you know. And uh, so, but uh, I mean, he... <laughs> He ran away with, uh, well, he did do some cutting, a little bit of the dialogue, but <laughs> hmm. anyway, we well, both she was jumped in and did it. Joyce, you know, Joyce, as she said, she, she stark drama is what she loves. Shakespeare and Tennessee Williams, whatever. And to give Joyce the chance to just do some ridiculous stuff. And, you know, she never once said, are you sure, David, what are going to, she just really threw herself into it and did whatever stupid thing I told her to do. Mmm, <laughs> mmm, don't these burgers look delicious? <laughs> and I think she had fun doing it because it was, uh, it was a different type of acting too, it was just, well, I stayed in character, Don, whichever well, character it was. You know, if, if she likes stark drama, that you can't get much starker than Bronson Cave. <laughs> no. <laughs> I wonder how many movies were filmed in that cave. Oh, hundreds, <laughs> hundreds. They used that, you know, and uh, it was very easy to go up there in the early days. I mean, it. Uh, I don't know. So they, you know, Somebody got a hold of it and decided they're going to make a lot of money off of it or something. I don't know. I, I, I think uh, I think that's the documentary that needs to be made. Is, <laughs> is you know Bronson Cave. You know when you think of all the you know monsters that have lived there. You know probably cowboys and gold miners who went in there and and oh yeah. You know everything was shot there. Yeah. Um, About ten years ago. I wanted to throw a party for Bronson Cave. And I got in touch with all sorts of actors and directors and you know people like Bird Eye Gordon and everything who did all those mm -hmm. monster movies and Joyce and Colleen Gray and all these, you know, Barbara Rush, all these Joyce, all these people that I knew. And I contacted Griffith Park and we we're actually going to make a go of this where we were just gonna have a big birthday party for Bronson Caves. And again, the red tape, just overwhelmed everything and yeah. how many fire marshals would have to be there and how and it, it just it just kind of fizzled but it's, it's too bad it's because it deserves it deserves a big party <laughs> is, there, is there somebody who acts as if they own the cave is there sort of a keeper of the flame keeper hey. of the cave 
it, it has something to do with, you know, with the city of Los Angeles. They mm. own it. And then there's a film department that is part of, you know, that works with them and everything. And the, the tendrils, the political tendrils and everything just go all over the place. Yeah, I thought maybe there was a hermit who lived in the cave and, you, you know, <laughs> you had to answer three riddles before you. Exactly. Uh, the hermit from Planet Aris. I think we have a sequel. Yeah. Well, I thought it was interesting. Uh, Sally out there still looking for brains. I thought that was that was I thought that was very, very clever of David to do to put that into writing. You know, it opened up for a lot of ridiculous things. <laughs> <laughs> Call it my woman's intuition. That area looks suspiciously similar to where my dad and I encountered one of those extraterrestrial brains. I better go check it out. Oh yeah, it, it's going to be a great a great extra for the uh, the DVD. I think. Well, it, don't you think it'll be kind of different, you know? Too, you know, they're expecting me to come on and say hello, you know. This is, and I hope you enjoy it, and you know, and. So on, so forth. Yeah, next thing you know, you're ready to be put in a padded cell. Well, you know, I, the, the, there seems to be two different audiences for these types of old drive-in movies. There, there are the people who really kind of like to just make fun of them, and you know, uh, you, you you get a lot of that on um, you know mystery science theater and programs yeah. like that. There are a lot of different uh, offshoots of that. Uh, they just kind of poke fun at the low budget or some, some of the acting they make fun of. But yet there's another part of the audience that, you know, wants to buy all the movie posters, <laughs> you know, want, wants to own all of the Blu-rays and DVDs, you know, really, really loves the movie um, and can, can recite lines of dialogue from the movie. There, there are two, two yeah. types of, of fan. Uh, oh, or, they, or, or Don, they shoot pictures. They take the camera and shoot a picture right off of the t t the TV screen and send it to you to sign. Oh, really? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. I get a lot of that, especially with the the brain. That's that, that's hardcore. That that that's. Uh... I just got one the other day that's sitting on my table to 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 uh, mail, and it they, it comes right off the TV screen. You can see it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's there. Where I'm screaming, and he's got the axe, and he's attacking the brain. Steve and Sally is in the background, you know, being frightened and screaming and all that kind of jazz. And you know, when, when for the mystery science theater people in those, uh, I always pose the question, have you ever tried to make a movie? It's really easy to poke fun at something when they had, you know, $80,000 in four days and bad weather, <laughs> et cetera. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. You got a week to shoot it. You, you, you probably didn't get all the actors you wanted, so you had to hire, you know, somebody's neighbor, you know, uh, there, there was a lot of that. I, I agree with you, uh, David, because uh, I'm, I'm a fan of those old movies, and, and uh, my, my theory is that no one sets out to make a bad movie, no. or, or, you know, they, like Joyce said, they were all committed, uh, they were all, you know, doing their best. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, not, not everything was going to be produced by, you know, Universal or, or Paramount or something. A lot of times you had to make do with a, a simple set and, and uh, a small budget. 
So the fact that they got the movie made deserves applause, I think. Well, you see, that all had to come under the unions. Hmm. And what is so wonderful today is that young people can go out and shoot a movie and, and just present it to a, um, a movie film festival and people will see it and enjoy it and they're learning their trade and everything. There was no way without the modern um, electronics that we have now that young people could learn. You had to join the union and you couldn't join the union because they were pretty closed, you know, young people. And today it's just wide open for them to learn their craft and, uh, and, and to make movies if they're interested, you know, in doing that. I have a, um, a granddaughter that's going to uh, go to uh, the university in New York. And in the back of her mind is that she's going to make films. You know, but, you know, the uh, yes, there's a lots of non-union being done. That's true. But what is really beautiful is young people get an opportunity to put a craft, they're, whether they're writing it, whether they're acting in it, like Josh, who did the editing. Now, there's a young man who went to college and he has all this opportunity to be the editor. And he, that, he has a beautiful editor. And all the opportunities living in Texas that he's able to do to learn his craft, you know, and I think that's that that's what's wonderful that's happening in film today. You I know, really one thing that, that like the foundation of if you compare the brain to a lot of other low budget monster movies at the time, as ludicrous as the premises about the giant floating brains, the script is very well written. The dialogue is believable under that situation, and the actors are terrific. So it has a level of believability within the ridiculousness of the premise. Well, all sci-fis are ridiculous. I mean, uh, hmm, who's going to meet E.T. pretty soon? And I stood in line for two hours to see E.T. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, oh, well. <laughs> and you also had a damn good dog in the picture. You know, yeah, George tell us was... about that dog. Do you remember that dog? Oh, do I ever? He, he and I got along beautifully. His trainer hardly talked. He just did, you know, snap a finger or, or made some sounds. And that dog, you know, those dogs are so smart anyway. And he was just a friendly German shepherd. And you could hug him and... Uh, I thought it was beautiful. I took a picture of him and I have it in my album. And he, um, in fact, I have a memorabilia picture with John and I on my wall and, and uh, he, the dog's in it. But what a beautiful dog, German Shepherd. And he, they're so smart. It was fun to watch him work, really. <laughs> yeah, dogs can steal the show. Yeah. That's for sure. No, ma no matter what the movie is, the dog can always walk away with the scene. Walk away, yeah. In fact, on uh, on YouTube now, uh, a lot you know, a lot of people have their own YouTube channels, you know, uh, and some of the most successful YouTube channels are just dogs. It's just clips of dogs 
doing things, doing yeah. funny things, yawning. Yeah. <laughs> and I get them on. I, I Google will bring that up every once in a while. I get a lot of stuff on Google. I I um I love the um, astronomy, NASA, all of that. Mm -hmm. And you know how Google is when you become interested in something. As soon as you turn it on, you get a mass of <laughs> of your interest yeah. showing up. So it's animals and NASA and music and things like that that pop and, up and brains. Brains, too. Brain. They're going to start coming up even more than before, Joyce. <laughs> well, we've been at this for about an hour, so I, I'm going to bring it to a close. Uh, David, thank you for being with us this afternoon. And very special thanks to Miss Hollywood, 1954, and one of the stars <laughs> of The Brain from Planet Eris, soon available on Blu-ray and DVD. Joyce Meadows. Thank you. Thank, thank you for you so having us. Thank you for having me, Don. It was a pleasure. Be safe. Be safe. <laughs> it was it was very enjoyable, Don. Thank you so very very much. All right, we'll uh, we'll probably speak again soon. I'm sure. Thank you. Okay. And, uh, well, it was sure nice to meet you. <laughs> oh, pleasure was mine. Pleasure was mine. <laughs> okay. Uh, enjoy your weekend. Thank you. you. Ciao.